I want you to open your Bibles today to John chapter 15. Gospel of John chapter 15. I've entitled this message, The Spirit and the World. John chapter 15, and my key verse, two verses really are out of verse 26 and 27. But I do want to back up just a little bit as you're, as you're searching for John 15. I want to back up into verse 14 just a little bit. And, and around verse 18, Jesus begins to, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This conversation right here, uh, uh, probably, likely, I'm certain of it, in fact, occurred in the upper room. This is where they shared communion for the very first time together as disciples and as Jesus who, who washed their feet and who has broken the bread, who has handed them the cup, uh, the bread representing his body, the cup representing his blood. And he begins to talk to them, I think, with a, with a, a, a new, a new uh, uh, earnestness. A, 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 there is there's an urgency here in what Jesus is talking about to his disciples because this is essentially going to be the last time he is ever going to be able to assemble these disciples together and have this kind of a this kind of an audience or this kind of a forum of these 12 to talk to them about what is going to happen over the next 24 to 36 hours because shortly after these conversations you're going to find Jesus in the garden you're going to find him arrested by by soldiers and the whole that whole process then begins a, a momentum that's going to lead to Christ on the cross and him dying for our sins and all of that. So what I'm saying here this morning, and what actually not what, so much what I'm saying is what Jesus is saying here, uh, he's talking about what you can expect. These are the things that's going to be, be happening uh, uh, after I'm gone. Uh, in chapter 15, he says, verse 18, he says, the world is going to hate you because it hated me before it hated you. And, and this is a whole different tone. You've got to understand, this is an entirely different tone that Jesus is talking about here to his disciples. He goes on and says, if you were the world, the world would love you. But you are not of the world because I chose you out of the world. And this conversation continues on. And then I come to my text this morning in verse 26. But when he, I'm sorry, but when the helper comes, whom I send to you. Now the helper is identified clearly as the Holy Spirit. He says, when the helper comes, in other words, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, I underline this in my Bible and highlight it. He will testify of me. Verse 27, and you will also bear witness. Again, underlining that. You will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. There's so much in this, <coughs> in this passage to unpack, and, and we'll just be able to touch on just a little bit of it this morning. But folks, we face a secular culture today. This is a culture 
when, when people come to me and say, you know, I don't understand the Bible. I don't see how it's relevant to me. I don't see how uh, whatever Jesus is saying fits me today. I look in the Old Testament. I can't even figure that out and all of this. I'm telling you, folks, look closer. Look closer. Take the headlines in today's newspaper. Lay it alongside what Jesus is talking about in these passages. And you're going to see powerful, powerful parallels and similarities in what Jesus is talking about to his disciples and what we are seeing today in our society, in our culture, in our country. We are seeing these things. We are hearing them. They may come slower into our community because, mainly because we're a more rural context here, but I'm telling you, they are here. They are here and they are influencing and affecting our lives, our families. This secular culture is becoming more strident and more militant in its anti-Christian, anti-truth, and anti-God mentality. And I think sometimes we see problems within the church and, you know, the thought is, as long as it doesn't affect my personal comfort, I don't care. And that's not quite the way we need to approach this. The growing theme of our culture is that we are being told to sit down, go along, get along, be inclusive, be tolerant, be nice, and be quiet. We see the wholesale crumbling of churches, denominations that bow under this, this humanistic form of political correctness. I'm going to put some things up on the screen here pretty quick. I like what the former president, Dr. James Merritt, who was addressing the Southern Baptist Convention just recently, and this is what he said. He said, I have news for the pornographer, the adulterer, the pedophile, and the abortionist. We are not going away. With love in our hearts and tears in our eyes, but resolve in our souls. We are not going to march under the white flag of compromise. We are going to march under the blood-stained banner of the cross of Jesus Christ. We will fly the flag of biblical truth higher than we've ever flown before. We will never give out. We will never give up. We will never give in when it comes for standing up for the truth of God's word. And I say amen. Jesus is speaking to his disciples on the eve of his betrayal, and he's describing to them, this is the kind of world that I'm going to send you in. And on a couple of occasions, as he addresses them in the upper room, he tells them, he says, look, I'm sending you out into this culture. You're going to be ministers in this culture. You're going to speak truth into this culture. I'm not going to protect you in this, this little enclave that we have here tonight. I'm not going to say, let's all stick around in the sanctuary today and, and afterwards we'll eat some cookies, but we're just going to hang out together. God doesn't want that. God wants this congregation to spread out into this culture, to influence, to affect, and to touch many people's lives. And that's, that's our jobs, isn't it? 
That's who he created us for in one sense. He explains to them they are now co-workers of the gospel with him. We are to be his hands. We are to be his feet. We are to be the voice of truth. We are to be the voice of God in this culture. Jesus, again, he says, he will testify of me, and you will also bear witness. These two verses are about the work and the witness of the Spirit in our lives and the work that Christ is calling us to do. It's not because of my eloquence. It's not because of my surroundings. It is not because uh, we're in this nice place. In our, it's because of the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that God gets things done. I want us to understand that. I want us to get a hold of that. You can have smoke machines going up here and lasers and everything else and 10 drummers and 42 uh, guitar players. It's not going to bring anybody to Christ. I can tell you what will. It will be the power of God's spirit at work. And he works in, he, he works in amazing ways, touching people's lives and working in their hearts. One of the great works of the spirit has been the oversight of the writing of the Bible. This Bible is a work of the Holy Spirit. Clearly, plainly, it says prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but as people were moved upon by the Spirit, they wrote. And God has placed in this book called the Bible his truth. Listen to this, John chapter 4, verse 23. True worshipers will worship the Father in what? spirit and in truth because the father is seeking such to worship him john 8:32 you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free john 16:13 he is the spirit of truth and he will guide you into all truth john 17:17 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth thy word is truth in other words, what Jesus is saying here, he says, look, I want you to be, I'm going to purify your life. I'm going to work in your life in such a way that you're going to be a reflection of Jesus, and I'm going to do that through the work and the agency of the Holy Spirit of God that works in your life. John 18 and verse 38, which this is a passage that has always fascinated me. It's not the words of Jesus. It's the words of Pilate. And Jesus stood before him. Jesus had already declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth stood in front of Pilate. And Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Analyze that one. And you can look at that for a long time and Try to examine that in many different ways. This Bible is in a whole category all by itself because it's unlike any other book on the face of the planet. And by the way, the authority of Scripture was at the very heart of the Reformation. At the very heart, the very core of the Reformation. It spoke of sola scriptura, or in other words, the Scripture alone. 
And that was the word of God that is fed into, not because some priest said, this is what God says, not because we heard this or this, it is from the word of God. And that word can, can flow into our lives, into our minds, into our spirit, and become a transforming force that God initiates to touch our, our, our culture. This is at the very heart of, I believe, what God is doing today. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives that opens up God's insight, his wisdom, his counsel. We literally become the partner with God in this whole thing. Jesus gives us a little bit of a hint in this. In John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Bible says, The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. God's at work. God's at work. Oftentimes we look at a situation and say, my goodness, that looks hopeless to me. It's not hopeless with God. Let the release of the Holy Spirit of God, bearing the power and the witness and the word that can touch what we declare as hopeless, and God begins transformation and his work in that situation, in those lives. We believe the Holy Spirit speaks to people, into people's hearts, and here's the results. Three things that I want to just, I, I, I want these to be embedded in your mind here a little bit this morning. First of all is comprehension. Listen, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you are unable to understand anything that is spiritual. You can be in a place where the Bible is faithfully taught and people will not comprehend it. And I'll tell you why. It's because there's no work of the Spirit in that, in that person's life. Folks, when I was about a junior or senior in college, I read the New Testament. Guess what? Didn't mean a thing to me. I sat in my room and I read it. Obviously, I was searching for something. I was looking for something. So I thought, let me read this book like I would read a textbook, like I would read a, 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 a class essay or something like that. I read it. Nothing happened. But sometime later, when the Spirit of God got involved in the whole process and everything, something did happen. And there was transformation of our lives. Because God was at work. God by his Holy Spirit. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. He comes and he says, It is not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the, de but in the demonstration of the Spirit and in power. He says, I want your faith not to rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Because when it rests in the power of God, it stays with you. It sticks with you through the thick and the thin, all the ups and all the downs, all of the various things of our life. It stays with us. But if it's with the wisdom of man, in 10 minutes it'll be gone. This worries me. Quite honestly, there are people, people that are careless in their spiritual life, you might call them backslidden. All of these things. I'm very, I'm, very, I'm very worried about these people. Mainly because there is a gradual dulling of the spiritual sensitivity 
in their life. And that's why they need to be exposed to God's power. They need to be exposed to his spirit that can revive them, that can restore them and renew them. So there's comprehension. Next there is conviction. Conviction is a very necessary second step because it's not, necess- it's not, it's not good to just hear the word of God but we, and even agree with the word of God. We can, we can comprehend the word but if that's all, the further it goes, then we're missing something. We need to have, there needs to be a conviction of the word of God. We need to understand our sin and be convicted of it. I want to read about three verses out of John chapter 16, beginning in verse 8. Notice this. He says, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you'll see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of the world is already judged. Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. Then in verse 13, and I want you to watch your Bible, look at your Bible, circle these, you're going to find them six times, six times. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit In verse 16, six times, if that happens, somebody ought to perk up their ears and say, wow, what's going on here? Listen to this. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. Wow. You pick up on those things. It is a deep conviction of sin and the grasp of the losses. Look, we talk about revival. We talk about, we talk about this in terms and say, you know what, Pastor, we need revival in our country. <clears throat> and I'm not exactly sure what that person may be saying to me, but let's define revival. Let's understand what revival really is. It's not a bunch of people getting in one room and hooping and hollering and dancing and shouting and all. That's not revival at all. That's nothing. Revival is the conviction of sin. Revival is the repentance of that sin. The revival is genuine sorrow that we have displeased God in such a way that he is upset with us and that he's going to bring judgment on us because of that. It's the repentance of all of those things and it's a turning around of our lives and it's allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't matter who's in Congress, who's in the White House, or anything like that. When revival comes, Democrats are going to hug the Republicans. The guy in the White House is going to kiss everybody in Congress, and this is true repentance. You've got to understand that. I don't see that right now. Do you? I see exactly the opposite of that. I see even, I, I, I see many in the body of Christ that honestly need reviving. That need the fresh work of God to impact their life and to grasp their hearts and their souls and their minds and, and reintroduce them to the freshness and to the love of Christ. 
That's why Jesus was pretty rough on the Ephesian church in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, look, you've got a lot of things going. You got to, this is quite an operation you've got going here, but I've got something against you. You've left your first love. We just operate. We just go through the motions. We do this. We do that. We do all of these things. But where's that first love? That first love that, I mean, bar the door, Katie, we're coming to church today. I don't care if there's a foot of snow on the ground. I don't care if they call off church. We're going to church. I mean, I mean, we, we were so serious, so in love with Christ, so in love with, with anticipation. What's he going to do next in my life? And what's that going to look like? All of these things. Let me hurry here just a bit. He will testify me. Then we have the last C here I want to give you. It's commitment. It's a deep, deep commitment to Jesus. And here's the process. We comprehend the gospel. <clears throat> uh, we're convicted of our sins and we, we repent of our sins. And then we commit ourselves to Christ in his service. Three other things, and, that, and then, that, then I'm closing. This witness, this witness is the assurance that the gospel is true. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. In other words, you believe it because God convinced you of it. You believe that what God says about you and about Jesus is true. I am, folks, I am intellectually converted but my heart is also converted. There's two things that are going on in my life and in your life. My heart is transformed, but my mind is transformed. Paul, uh, the writer of the Hebrews, says it so well in, in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. Let your mind be trans, or, or let the Spirit transform your mind by the renewing of your mind. My mind is renewed. I quit thinking about the stuff I used to think about, and I think about the things that God brings into my, into my heart, into my life, the things that are going to please him. There must be a personal experience. In other words, it's not enough to be just intellectually convinced of something. See, I was intellectual. When I read the Bible in, in, when I was a junior or senior in college, I was intellectually convinced that this is good. Intellectually, I was convinced. But my heart wasn't transformed. And actually, my mind wasn't even transformed. I just convinced myself that this is good. And I said it was good. The response to Jesus is a changed life. And the more time I spend with him, and the more time I spend in prayer, the more time I spend in the word, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work through that combination right there, the more I become like him. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to confess to you today, i got a ways to go on that one. Maybe you do too. And finally, there is a verbalized testimony. And that's where my text comes in. My text comes in and says, I will bear a witness to Jesus. I need to speak about what God's done in my life. I want to tell about what God's done in my life. You know, Philip, in, in Acts chapter 8, 
There's an interesting little story embedded right here that got my attention this week. Philip is, uh, you know, he's up in Samaria preaching the word and everything, and everything's going great. They've got a revival rolling along up there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> let me tell you, this was not on Philip's radar. The Holy Spirit takes Philip and rolls him about a hundred or so miles south into the Gaza Strip. Can you imagine poor old Philip? I mean, it, it's kind of like I'm here, I'm preaching to Faith Community Church, everything's going great, and all of a sudden, whoosh, I'm not here. I'm standing in some road intersection a hundred miles from here saying, what in the world just happened? And about that time, an Ethiopian official comes riding along in a, in a chariot or a buggy or something like that. And the Spirit of God prompts Philip to speak to that guy and say, do you know what you're reading? Because he was reading a piece out of Isaiah chapter 53. And he had no clue about what he was reading could figure it out. Who's being talked to, talked about here? Philip jumped in, the chariot or the buggy. He says, here, let me fill you in. This passage is talking about Jesus. And he explained to him, I'm sure he had to explain to him, Acts chapter 8 doesn't fill that portion in, he had to explain to him, comprehension. The guy says, I'm convicted of this. I'm convicted of this. And then the conviction led to his commitment. He says, I'm going to get baptized. Here's some water. How about that, folks? Water in the kind of a desert region? And they just be, happen to be passing by. You only puddle of water. They probably in miles. He says, here, let's get baptized right now. Comprehension. Conviction, commitment. And I'm telling you from my vantage point, I believe that Ethiopian went back to his country and introduced the gospel to Africa. He's the one. He's the guy. And then Philip, he's still in the Gaza Strip. Now what? He goes back to the revival. God has ways to do these things. Donnelly, would you come back, please? Folks, I want, to, I want you to do something today. I want you to listen very carefully. I believe God is at work in people's hearts in a church service like this. And I want to ask you a question. What's God saying to you right now? What's he saying? Because I believe he's saying something. I, I believe it's right in here, kind of. It's right in here, and it kind of moves into our mind. But it's in here. It's, it started right here. And it kind of moves into our head, and we kind of begin to give it thought. What's God saying to me? What's God trying to do, maybe in my life? What's he, what, what, how's, he trying to, how's he trying to cause me to be focused in this area or this or whatever it might be? What's he been dealing with me maybe for a while? and You know, it's kind of coming together right now. God wants to work.
I want you to understand that Jesus died for your sins. That's why the cross. And we make a commitment to Christ. I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I'm going to be praying something to the effect that that uh, maybe will resonate to maybe just a handful of people. I don't know. Maybe a lot more than I think. But I want to talk about knowing Christ as I pray. So would you join me right now in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. Your word is powerful. Your word has been at work in this church service beginning right at 10 o'clock when we sat down. And right now, at 11.07, I believe you're speaking in people's hearts. And you're talking to them. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus this morning for people that may be in the room right now that, first of all, you need Jesus in your life. You need to ask God for forgiveness. God plainly tells us that we need to ask him for forgiveness. So let's take care of that right now. Anybody who needs Jesus right now, I want you to pray with me. Anybody. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I confess to you that that I am a sinner and I need Christ. I need forgiveness. This morning... I ask for that kind of forgiveness. Change my life. Change my heart. Come into my heart. I believe with all of my heart on Christ as my Savior. Nothing else, just Jesus. Come into my heart right now. I believe Jesus died for me on a cross. I believe he rose from the dead. Today I accept him as my Savior and my Lord. Father, I pray for others here this morning. The Holy Spirit has been talking to them. Perhaps an area of their life that needs to come under the submission of God. Father, whatever it is, whatever it is, Father, I pray, help them to say, Yes, Lord, I will obey that, and I will follow that, direct my life, And if necessary, change that area of my life or whatever's going on. Let there be a transformation. I love you, Father, and I want to walk in obedience to you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.